Welcome to the Shoulda Backed It podcast. In this jam-packed episode, we'll be taking a look back at the 2020 Spring Carnival, including four big days at Flemington. From Cup debutant Jai McNeil's bold ride on Twilight Payment on Tuesday, to personal outstanding arrivals in the Oaks on Thursday, and finally yesterday's dominant win in the McKinnon Stakes by Perth Raider Arcadia Queen, we've seen some great racing over the past week. As always, and for the last time this spring, I'm joined by Herald Sun's number one tipster and form analyst, Chris Finuccio. How have you survived the week, Big V? Um, did you manage to navigate the TAB outage yesterday? Hello, Phil. Yeah, it was an incredible day on Stakes Day with what was happening with the TAB, but fortunately it didn't, wasn't too much of a problem for me. I had my bets already placed and you know, went through the day unscathed. Mate, it caused absolute chaos. We had Sydney races delayed. I think Melbourne's races ended up getting delayed and then Morfordville postponed. So obviously uh, a significant issue and an impacting turnover for the, the tab and the, the different agencies there, but it certainly threw a spanner in the works. Oh, it was a big hit. And it's just, it's just amazing that people couldn't put a bet on at, at an outlet because I was getting text messages from people at work, you know, panicking because they couldn't get a bet on on their app and I said to them just do it the Italian way just get some cash and put your bet on but you couldn't even do that so yeah it was just uh, if the only way you had you could bet was with the corporates and fixed odds you just couldn't do any of the best toad or you know the the toad exotics or anything like that as long as you had a fixed bet odd uh, fixed odds bet with the corporates and that would have had a big day as well with a lot of new sign-ups as well but it was just a, a strange day and with all the the races getting postponed and delayed, it sort of added to the confusion as well. I, I missed a few races because I didn't know what the new times were. I must admit I was in the same boat. I was taking advantage, as were you, with uh, some of the restrictions being lifted here in Victoria and we were able to catch up at the pub, which uh, was a bit of a novelty. But it did mean, yeah, a bit of chaos with the different race times. I actually missed a couple of races and we'll discuss that in our Should Have Backed It's, I think, uh, in a minute there, Big V. But, yeah, I, I think it might have been a day of missed opportunities for some punters, given they couldn't get on in, in, with a few of those races. You had some short price favourites like Bivouac and Arcadia Queen getting the job done. And I think they would have been fan favourites so maybe a missed fill up opportunity for some punters yeah a few people I know a couple that were older people than me that don't have corporate accounts they just got the tab accounts and they're ringing up other people trying to get a bet <laughs> on I knew someone I know someone that was on bivouac and also went bivouac into Acadia Queen but he was able to get someone else to put a bet on but not as much as he would have originally had so yeah a few people might have missed out on a on a big fill up well I know one horse you didn't miss out on was Arcadia Queen and the McKidden there and yeah gee justified the short quote in the end really dominant performance there ahead of 50 stars and uh, New Zealand Raider Melody Bell yeah I was keen on Arcadia Queen I was keen on her in the Cox Plate and I just thought she got too far back in that race against the the fancied runners like Armoury and Russian Camelot she gave them too big of a start and she also nearly fell mid-race and maybe the soft track while I think she handled it to an extent, I think she's a lot better on top of the ground. Even though in this race she was last in the run, it was just sort of the, it was just messy how they were running. A lot of horses were three wide, and, and if Luke Curry had a pushed up on her, she could have been trapped four wide, you know, next to um, 50 stars. She was tracking 50 yeah. stars, but 50 stars was three wide as well, so she just got the, the run behind him. 
And it just it's sort of like no one wanted to really set a tempo. They were, they jumped out. They were, they were playing a bit of cat and mouse where they wanted to settle in the run and a lot of horses were three wide. So Luke Curry sat back and just got into the race at the right time and yeah, she was the dominant horse. Yeah, well, I mentioned last week on the podcast that I was pretty keen to follow in 50 stars into the McKinnon and... You know, you're getting 8 or $9 about a horse that was probably set for that race, whereas some of these other horses, such as Arcadia Queen, have already had their grand finals. And, yeah, I was a bit disappointed to see 50 stars sitting out there three wide without cover. And Arcadia Queen, as she said, was able to just jump on the back and do the, do the race quite dominantly in the end. And you do have to wonder if Cox Plate had been run on a hard surface uh, and she hadn't knuckled and things had gone a little bit better, how she would have gone in that particular race. Yeah, I was all in on her in the... Cox played and it was just unfortunate. That was the weekend where the rain, both in Melbourne and Sydney, really did stuff me up that day. But now she's got the win here. I was hoping they might have had a, a few more dollars on Melody Bell and we got a better price for Arcadia Queen, particularly after Mugatu was scratched. She looked the standout. But Melody Bell, she's coming off... I mean, she's ran well, but she's coming off two New Zealand Group 1 wins. I mean, that's different standard. In the autumn... I thought she was a bit disappointing. She wasn't up to the same level that she showed last spring when she came here. Yeah, I thought the run was still good, obviously, yeah. running into third. But, yeah, I think Arcadia Queen's pretty special, to be honest. And I think she proved that this uh, preparation. And I'm sure Willie Pike was uh, cheering along there back in WA as she stormed to victory. It'd be interesting to see if she runs again. Maybe the Kingston Town. So she'll go back to WA. I thought I heard talk about the railway, but that might come too soon, particularly if, she's, if it's going to take her three days to get back to WA, you know, Kingston Town might be a good race for her. Yeah, I think so. I think if they, uh, you know, get back over there and she's still sound eating up and, uh, you know, giving them the impression she can run again, I'm sure they will because she's just in amazing form at the moment. Uh, another horse that ran pretty well yesterday and is my shooter backed it for this week uh, is Savicciano, and I know this is a horse that you like and you've been following as well throughout its career, but it was in a five-horse field in the hot Danish stakes at Rose Hill yesterday. Six uh, horses. Six horses, yeah. was it? Oh, it felt like five. It was, it's hard to tell that yesterday, mate. It was chaos. But, you know, whether it was five or six, it was a small field, and he ended up getting $3.50 about a, a horse that's really proven at that group level and, and did have the form, I think, to probably justify a shorter quote than that. So I was pretty disappointed to not get on it, and particularly with the track improving. I think Savitiano on a heavy track hasn't really got the stats to back it up, but certainly when it's gone to... Uh, that soft sort of range has a really good record. So once it got down to that sort of soft seven, or uh, I was you know, pretty keen to get involved. But I think, going back to what you said earlier, I think I just got caught up a little bit with uh, the race cha- uh, times changing and all the chaos of the day that I just didn't end up getting on her. Yes, I missed the race as well because I thought it was a race later. I thought it was after the McKinnon stakes. So I, I missed it as well. And I, I would have backed positive peace in that race and... She's jumped out favourite, 280. And Sabatiano's gone out from 260 to 330. And oh, we did talk about it earlier because I was keen on positive peace because it was a heavy track. But you said if the track dries out to a soft, to the soft range, then that's Sabatiano's perfect conditions. And it did end up getting up to a soft seven. But she's eased and positive peace has, has firmed. And the track has been upgraded. And with Sabatiano, she's a horse that I just can't catch. But I think it's quite clear she needs a bit of the jar out of the track because her past two runs have been 
flops and they were on a good four and a good three. Here on a soft seven, you know, she's just won quite easily, pretty comfortably in the end. Yeah, I think the conditions just suited it perfectly for a win there. And, yeah, if you're getting 350, as you say, in a small field, I think it was definitely one I'm um, pretty disappointed to miss. It wasn't over the, the 1,300. I know that's a distance that you are very keen on Sevatiano at. But uh, we might move along to your should have backed it for the week, Big V, and you might have to remind me what it is because I'm not sure what you've got for me this week. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I think it was one of those days where I was happy with Bivouac and Acadia Queen winning and Pondus nearly got up. So I was just looking to see which one I should have gone with and I'm just going to go with the last race at Flemington Lighter. It's a horse I've been following since more than 12 months ago and I go back to June 19 when it finished half a length behind Guy Trap, and I just thought, you're going to win next start. But then it had a bit of a break. It didn't come back until December. But then it's it hasn't really lived up to that potential that he, he did show back in the winter of last year and... You know, here he comes up, comes out, and he gets the right run, the right spot in the track, and he's caused a bit of a boil over. Yeah, quite a big boil over, I think. I just didn't consider it a, a chance in that race, to be honest. And at the end, you got $20, and I added a little bit of value to the quaddy if, if you could actually get one on yesterday, that is. But, yeah, no, um, I'm surprised, actually a little bit surprised. That's the one that you, you thought you should have backed. But, yeah, it sounds like you've been following it a while, Big V, and yeah. 20 bucks, you would have been okay to put a couple of dollars each way on it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a tough day too. When you look at some of the winners there where you thought, oh, was I really going to get interested in that? I mean, you look at horses like True South. I mean, her form, I know she won the Queen Elizabeth last year, but her form in... Europe leading up to coming to Australia was not very good. She was getting beat by, you know, 20 lengths or whatever. So I couldn't trust that form. And, you know, there was other races like, uh, even if you go to race two, Shelby Cobra, I mean, good horse, well-backed. But, you know, I sided with Tommy Gold. That ran second. I mean, you just got beat by a better one on the day. So, no, there was no... A lot of horses that I, I was on picked... There was no regrets, even if they didn't win. So it was tough to find one that you really thought, oh, I should have been on that one. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat with my should have sacked it for the weekend. We're not going to move races. It was uh, the same one there at Flemington, the last, and that was Plaquette, who, you know, ran a nice third and at one point probably looked the winner uh, at about the 100, 150-metre mark. But in an even field, it, she started about $3, which at the end of the day was just a bit too short, I thought, uh, at the end. So if, if you could get the $4.50 quote that earlier in the day or perhaps even earlier in the week, I think it would have been a better bet. But I didn't get that and ended up backing it at $3. And, yeah, I was just a bit disappointed in myself to, to get on board at such a short price. Again, you know, the form from Sydney had run a nice second previously and it did seem like a horse that would be in the finish, but... Yeah, sometimes um, it's good to stay away from horses when you're not quite at the price that they should be, I think. Yeah, I thought it was a nice run, maybe around back around a bend. Yeah. But I think that he, I thought he, I think it's a he, was well found. Actually, the mayor. In the mayor, sorry. Um, I think she was well found. $3 was a bit tight in that type of field where you've had you know, media rights going well as well. And then I'm telling you, I just runs very well at Flemington. And there's a few other horses there that, um, you know, were, were good chances. But the market were really tight on Plaquette and Meteorite at $3 and $4. And then the next best in the market, you're looking at, I think, a horse like Can't Be Done at $11. So the bookies 
really putting massive percentages in those two favourites. Yeah, which is why I'm disappointed in the end, Big V. I think there was value to be found, and you know, you've mentioned Lighter as being one of those options, but in those sort of really even races, and you know, down the straight, obviously throws in a few different uh, elements as well. It just was a bit disappointing to to be on such a short price favourite and then <laughs> it not winning. So that's why it's my should have sacked it for the week. But we'll skip back to race three for your should have sacked it. And that was uh, Morrissey, who had put in some really nice performances over the last few months, including its last start, but couldn't quite get the job done yesterday. No, it, was... it wasn't a bad run by Morrissey. I think he was you know, stuck to his task. You know, he finished fourth in the end. His, his form has been pretty good, but... Most of it's been at Caulfield, so maybe going to Flemington, I, I probably could have looked elsewhere. But mm. I didn't have... There wasn't much between those top four horses, Samson, Mavada, Morrissey and Bold Star. I wasn't sure about Bold Star at 14, but no, that was a good run as well. Uh, Mavada can mix his form a little bit, and Samson, I think I was on at Mooney Valley the start before, but I just wasn't sure... You know, the strength of that race coming into this, but you know, Samson's run well. There wasn't much between the top four, but I think maybe I could have gone against Morrissey at Flemington. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's with any basis, but I've always thought of Morrissey being a Caulfield horse, maybe just because it's run there more often rather than it not performing particularly well at Flemington. But I actually stayed out of that race completely, Big V. I thought it was impossible to work out. I thought Bold Star was probably the best horse in the race, but again, big question mark at 1,400 and probably was proven to be right in the end. I think if that was over 12 or 13, probably wins the race, but that extra 100, I think, is the reason it couldn't quite uh, get the job done, even though, again, it was a pretty good race by that horse. But, yeah, Morrissey, I think it's you know it's consistent enough, though. Yeah, yeah except for that one race where we both got on it at Caulfield where uh, it decided to, I think the jockey decided to take it back. back when... yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a type of horse where it... it it seems like it runs best and needs to win if it's in the top four in the run. And, yeah. and even yesterday, it was just it was fifth at the 800. So, okay, it was only one spot further back. But when you've got the main chances in front of him, I just thought it's going to be... I thought it was going to be tough for him to run them down because I think he needs to be on the speed and, you know, give the others something to chase in that last 100, 200. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Big V, I did promise at the start of the show that we were going to have a bit of a chat back through some of the big major races at uh, Flemington over the last week or so. And I guess there's no bigger race than the Melbourne Cup. And we saw a really interestingly run race in the end with Twilight Payment holding on for a a really uh, well-deserved victory there with Jai McNeil on board. But uh, you were on Tiger Moth. I was on Russian Camelot. And I think at different times in the race, we probably both thought we were on the winner. Uh, you know, at some point down the straight. But in the end, Twilight Payment got the job done. And, yeah, what did you make of the race more generally? Well, I thought it was a interesting race. It, obviously, I don't think it rated as well as past Melbourne Cups. I think with the first two, Twilight Payment and Tiger Moth, you know, great rides by both jockeys. They took the initiative. When Kieran McAvoy... Kieran McAvoy wanted to go forward, but I think because he was so wide out, he just had to keep pushing forward so he didn't get caught wide. And when I saw him settle second, I thought, oh, maybe you might have done too much, you know, for a 3,200-metre race. You know, you might not have much left. But, you know, Twilight Payment just set a steady tempo and then built it up. And in the straight, you know, when Twilight Payment just kept kicking on and Tiger Moth was sticking with him, I thought, oh, yeah, we're going to see a good finish between these two. And then, you know, Russian Camelot loomed. I thought he looked like he was 
the big danger. I thought, oh, you know, Bill's beat me again. <laughs> but then I hit him see at the 32, so he's not going to be running in the Melbourne Cup again. And then I know Prince of Iran was unlucky, and you could argue that he could have or should have won. And I think if he did, I think that does show that this race did rate lower than past editions because that's an eight-year-old horse. He's not improving, you know, ratings-wise, but he was unlucky not to win. But that was barrier one. It was going to be tough for him. But it just shows that, you know, the, the first two, John McNeil and Kira McAvoy, you know, I think the rides enabled them to finish first and second. Yeah, and I think if you look back at that race, I don't think any... Uh, horse can really blame the ride on the end. I think right. that actually there were some really good rides across the entire field in that particular race. You know, you had horses like Tiger Moth draw the car park and mm-hmm. still manage to get into a good position. I thought Russian Camelot was ridden really well, very elegant, it was, was ridden very well. And I guess the jockey to ca- catch the most flack from the race was one of our favourites, Jamie Carr, mm-hmm. who was on Prince of Aaron. And I think a little bit unlucky, really, in the end. I think she got the horse out at the right time, but just got a couple checks at the wrong time, yeah. which meant that, you know, she couldn't quite get out till later down the straight. And I tell you what, I do think it wins, if with all things being yeah. equal, but that's racing and sometimes yeah. things aren't equal. And I think with Prince of Aaron and Surprise Baby, they just got a little bit further back than what the punters were expecting. So Surprise Baby ended up, running favourite in the end. There was just a, a huge amount of money coming for that horse and I was hoping that, because I went top fluck with Tiger Moth, I was hoping that his price might ease out a bit late but you know the bookies weren't prepared to ease Tiger Moth. They were... Surprise Baby came in from about 850 to $6 but they still kept Tiger Moth pretty firm and I think Craig Williams just got a bit further back than they thought from Barrier 7. Yeah, I would have had egg on my face if uh, Surprise Baby had won Big V. I I potted it most of the week, didn't think it was really a live chant in the race, and that was just a a personal view. You can't have every horse. But I was wondering, as it became the favourite in the race, whether that was professional money or whether that was... Just, you know, because it's an Australian horse, you know. The local element, yeah. The local element, I think, was part of that. I think we got a lot of, um, you know, recreational money on it towards the end. But it did really shift in. Like, an $8 into $6 is a big shift in betting, particularly in a race like that. But I was surprised that they just stayed firm with Tiger Moth. I mean, I was procrastinating all day on Monday whether I was going to take the $7.50 because it was $8 when we did our podcast last week, eight dollars eight fifty and I thought maybe we might be able to pinch nines, but yeah. it was seven fifty from Monday morning. All day still stayed seven fifty. And I thought, no, nah, I'll just take the seven fifty. I'll just it, it won't <laughs> turned out to be a good bet. Well, as I was about to push the button, I did it after dinner. So I went out all day Monday, had dinner, and then I thought, all right, I'll, I'll just take the bet. I'll just do it. As I pushed the button, it's changed to seven dollars. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I'll just let it go. I'll just see. Maybe they might go seven fifty half an hour later because that's what these bookies can do sometimes. And then I thought, no, I'll just take sevens and go to do it again. And the price has changed again. So oh. I just thought I'll just take my chances with top fluck. But it just stayed six fifty all day. It didn't budge even when Surprise Baby really firmed. Uh, they were just easing out 
all these other horses rather than the second favourite. Well, I think you're not missing Tiger Moth. You're not missing. We're not going to be missing those Northern Hemisphere three-year-olds anymore. I think no. the the form over recent years, and I think that money for Tiger Moth was all the pros. I think they were really heavily involved yeah. in Tiger Moth and thought it had all the characteristics of a of a Melbourne Cup winner. Yeah. And you must say that the Europeans, the trainers over there, have worked out the type of horse to bring to yeah. Australia for the Melbourne Cup now. I mean, we've seen it over the last few years, but you're even now seeing it with horses like Tiger Moth, who's only, you know, only its fifth career start. So I think we're going to continue to see these horses. They're, they're handicapped really well. They're obviously higher quality than some of our locally bred and locally raced horses. Mm. So, yeah, it wasn't one missed by anyone, the yeah. old uh, Tiger Moth. But I guess I did want to raise probably a really disappointing element of the race, Big V, and it's something that, you know, that's been happening way too often and I think we'd all agree that as racing lovers uh, is to see another death in the race and again I think that's five in the last eight years which when you look at racing more generally is a a much disproportionate number of deaths considering the amount of runners that have been there so I guess I'm interested in your take on that big V and what you think sort of needs to happen moving forward because we really can't as an industry have that happen uh, one's too many, but to have five and eight years, there's something systemic wrong. Yeah, it is, and it's just a shame because it's the internationals. It's happening to the international horses, and and I think I heard someone say that at Flemington they've had maybe two deaths in the year at Flemington, two horses break down, but it, it just is it's happening in the Melbourne Cup each year. And when trainers and, you know, northern you know, people in Europe bringing their horses to Australia, there's an expectation that they're going to take their horses back. Mm. And I don't think it's just... I don't think it's... It can't just be the Melbourne Cup race itself, the 3,200 metres, the handicap conditions, the firm track, because it's not just those horses breaking down, it's horses also breaking down at Werribee. We, we had Wichita euthanised, and that was going to run, I think that was going to run into Cantala, or maybe even it was nominated as well for the Golden Eagle. So it's other horses that are breaking down in training. So is it a problem at Werribee that needs to be looked at? And one solution is Racing Victoria buying Lloyd Williams' property, Mount Macedon, and using that as the quarantine centre. Yeah, and look, I think it doesn't look good for Werribee does it this has started to happen this has all happened with international horses since they've moved to Werribee and I think one of the other options is to move back to Sandown I don't know if that's a viable option or not but it just wasn't happening in the same way and as you say it is the internationals this is happening to and obviously you know you can talk about lots of different issues like you have race conditions etc but the fact of the matter is they, that should be the number one focus yeah. of, of the Racing Victoria, Racing Australia now, working out what the problem is yeah. and fixing it because this is our marquee day. It's our marquee race. It's, you know, and as you say, it doesn't happen in other races. Yeah. It, you know, there's 3,200-metre races all the time. That doesn't happen in those races. So uh, something definitely uh, needs to happen around that yeah. because it's a horrendous look. And obviously, as you say, it's not, it's not a great day for connections or anyone involved in the industry, to be honest, when that happens. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong at Werribee because there's horses get trained there and they have jump outs and trials and, and racing there and horses don't break down. But it must be something about the, the track or the configuration that isn't suiting the training style of the internationals. 
And I know the authorities have really uh, taken a, a good look at the internationals that have come over here. They have lots of tests. They they run them through the ringer just to make sure that they're they're sound and that they're in a condition for the race. But obviously something's still happening where that's not cap- capturing every, uh, I guess, issue. Because even leading up to the race, we did see a number of horses needing to have several vet checks. Mm-hmm. We're, we're a little bit lame in some, of the, some areas. So... Uh, definitely one that I think the authorities will be uh, looking at closely over the next little while because we, we can't see that, can't keep seeing that happen. But on a more positive note, I suppose, Big V, we saw a, a great ride uh, by Damien Oliver uh, to win the Oaks on Thursday on Personal, who unfortunately for me in the uh, the lead-up race in the Wakeful on Saturday didn't quite get the job done but was able to turn the tables uh, in the Oaks and, and that was a really impressive victory in the end uh, going past Montefilia, who... I think it was a very sound run up front. But, yeah, um, what did you make of it, mate? Were you on personal or did you stick with Montefilia? No, I stayed out of the race. I thought it was... Oh. That's I not like you, mate. No, Montefilia was too short. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've been burned a few times in the Oaks with these, some of these short favourites. I know it's, it's been a favourites race, but I think in the last couple of years, a couple of favourites have let me down. So I stayed out of the race. Um, I did... Well, I mean, I, we did, I did have to do a first four for our punters club and because we had the short favour I thought how we're going to do it so we can try and maximise some money and I think I had personal and Montefilli as the two standouts so I wanted them to try and get one and two unfortunately Salto Angel is that's always the way isn't it they're always going to finish one and three when you have them for one and two no because I had Salto Angel to finish third or fourth with um, Miraval and a couple of others Uh, so that was just a shame but maybe with Montefilli I mean, it's had, it had two big runs in the flight stakes and the champion stakes in the, within a week of each other and it was about three to four weeks between runs. So, you know, maybe, you know, having to the gap between runs and having two tough runs into the Oaks maybe was against her, but she had the class. And, but personal just looked like the one that was just stepping up race by race. Looks a really progressive stayer personal, and I can see it featuring in some of our, uh, you know, big, bigger staying races this time next year. And we saw Miami Bound do that, obviously, mm. through this and running in the Melbourne Cup. And personal looks to be a really tough, sort of hardy horse that you can sort of rely on. It. It's very consistent, and yeah, I can see us talking about personal in a Melbourne Cup and other contexts uh, around this time next year as well. Big V, it was a, a great performance. Mm. Uh, another great performance and one that you foreshadowed on this podcast last week was Bivouac's big win there in the Dali Sprint. And look, it was an interesting race and I think an interesting one from a betting perspective as well. We saw a lot of money coming late for Nature Strip. I think punters had the view that this was a race for Nature Strip. If it was going to win one this prep, it was going to get that lead at once up front, which we know it needs uh, to, to perform well. It wasn't going to be challenged for that. And that's what we saw in the race too. And I guess if you're a Nature Strip fan, at about the 300, you were expecting it to, to bowl away. But yeah, as we saw, Bivouac putting in a, a massive run there and, and really dominating that field in the end. This is the type of race where you just wish you had more money on it. The, <laughs> like the way I read the race is just how it unfolded. And it's, it's very rare when that happens, yep. where everything you think does come into place and you know with nature ship i was getting a little bit nervous because in the everest it did blow out to about i think it was maybe 450 to 650 or something like that in the everest here it was 440 into 380 and in the barriers bivouac got out to 350 which i don't think many people would have got because it wasn't there for very long but 
Um, so because the money came for Nature Strip, I was a bit concerned. But at the same time, you're taking that horse on trust. It's come off two pretty poor performances. I did hear one of the owners say that he might have had a bug that he's just got over. But even when you're getting over you know, a bug or something in the middle of a preparation, it's still not ideal. You probably need to have a, a good spell in the paddock and then come back to really get over it. Um, so I was keen on Bivouac, and I thought Libertini would run well, but I just think that she had a peak run first up, and then I think it was going to be tough for her to hit that level again. And Santa and Elaine, we've mentioned it a few times, that he seems to be at that age now where third up, his form really does nosedive. He was big run in the Everest, but I was prepared to just go by the pattern that he's starting to set, where third up, he really drops off. Yeah, and I think one of the things, and I, you sort of alluded to in your comment there, Big V, is that because we see these sprinters take each other on quite regularly, they're sprint horses, they can do that, there's a natural pattern of races for them to participate in, you can start to really see how the races are going to pan out a lot more clearly, I think, with some of these sprint races. And I think the case yesterday, as you say, I mean, that's the race pattern, the race shape we were expecting. Um, were we going to see the, the same nature strip we saw last season? I think we could we could pretty comfortably suggest that Bivouac was going to get the job done well there. But I guess with Nature Strip, I had a bit of a two-bet strategy in this race. I backed Bivouac, but I also had a little bit on Nature Strip at about $4.40. And the reason for that was that I could see, I could make an excuse for Nature Strip in each of its three runs this prep. Even in the Everest, I mean, I thought off that hot speed, it actually stuck on really well. And I think Bivouac might have only just nabbed it by a length and a length and a half on the line. So I don't think it looked as bad as perhaps people thought. So I I could definitely make a case for it. But, yeah, uh, it was pretty good to see Bivouac really come back to that form that it had for the new market and and win win that race after a really bold second in the the Everest. And outside that Everest form line, I wasn't interested in any other horse, like your Hay Docks and Graffs and and, um, Fabuginos, whatever. Um, and the other horse as well, I'm not so sure where she's at, is Tafani. Mm. I mean, she hasn't really come up this prep. I know she, was, I know she, was, um, she lost narrowly in the Bobby Lewis and even in the Gilgai, she was only a length off. But against this, this Group 1 opposition, she's been, she's been well off them. I know she won the All-Age in the, in the autumn, but you look at her SP profile... Last preparation, she okay. She's won the all age at $12, but in the TJ, she was $26. The Galaxy, where she ran third, she was a $16 shot. The New Market, she was a $26 shot, beaten when she was beaten five lengths by Bivouac. In the Lightning, beaten six lengths by Geetra, she was a $19 chance. So, um, yeah, I'm just not sure just how good she is, whether you know she's just had a, a flat preparation. Maybe we'll see her improve in the autumn next year. I'm just not sure where she's at or what her level is. I think with Defane, I, I think over you know sort of a thousand to twelve hundred, she hasn't quite got the sprint of some yeah. of these horses. And I think we saw it win. I think maybe in the all age over fourteen hundred. And I think that's probably more the distance that Tefane should be focusing yeah. on. I think at that real elite twelve hundred meter, not not up to some of these horses, but. You know, getting out to 13, 1400, I think that's where she'd really come into its own. So maybe that's something they'll look at uh, either at the end of this prep or perhaps uh, moving forward because I think that's probably where the sweet spot is for that horse. 
But Big V, we've had a massive spring carnival. You know, this is our 11th episode of the Should Have Backed It podcast and unfortunately uh, our last for the season. And I just wanted to have a bit of a reflection time, a bit of a look back over some of our highlights and lowlights, I guess, of the uh, the last few weeks. And I, I just wanted to run through a few different ones. So the first one was I wanted to get your best run of the spring. So the one, the run that really stood out for you, Big V, when, when you think back over the spring, and you might have to cast your mind back a little bit because it has been a seemingly long spring. Yeah, it has been. But I'll go with the, the horse we mentioned before, the Twilight Payment in the Melbourne Cup. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen a horse lead and win the cup, I think the last time was Might and Power. So it's it's good to see that it can still be done. And just Jai McNeil in his first Melbourne Cup, you know, I think he listened to Lloyd's instructions and, you know, pulled it off. And so it was a great ride, you know, great run as well by the horse. It's always a good idea to listen to the owner's instructions, Big V. I think jockeys have learned that over time. Uh, so for me, it was classic legend winning the Everest. I think, you know, that race is now, it's a $15 million race. It's high profile. You've got a lot of good horses in it. And the way it burst away from that field, I think it was one of the lasting legacies for me over this uh, spring carnival. It might have been because I had a little bit of money on it too, Big V, which always helps with the memory. But, yeah, I just thought that was a, a real top-class effort, and as I've said previously on the podcast, a bit sad to see that we won't be watching Classique Legend go around in Australia yeah, moving forward. But Interesting. I don't think Classique Legend's won a Group 1 in Australia. Only the Everest. Yeah, that could be right. I think they'll be okay with that big V, though. It's a pretty, de- <laughs> it's a pretty <laughs> decent <laughs> purse. But it's quite, it's, it's quite amazing how people are proclaiming this horse to be the, maybe the, the best sprinter in Australia, maybe the best sprinter in the world, but it hasn't got a, a Group 1 to its name, which is oh, it's just unusual. I know it's won an Everest, but, yeah, I think um, it might go overseas and win Group 1 races overseas, but it hasn't won one in Australia. Well, they probably could have brought it back over and kept it in Australia and won the, the Dali Sprint or something yesterday, Big V. Or, or the um, new market next yeah, year. Yeah, the new market. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they could have if they wanted to, but obviously they had a set program for it. And Yeah, it's an interesting little anomaly, though, I suppose, Big V. Uh, now, we know we're a punting-based show, so you had your best run of the spring, but I want to know what your best bet of the spring was, Big V. What's the one that stands out where you really just delivered? I'm going to go back to the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes with Behemoth. It was $4 to four twenty. I got somewhere in that $4 price zone, and, and, you know, it was carrying 60 kilos, and I think that's why we got such a good price, you know, you know, we've mentioned it a few times, you know, sometimes weight doesn't matter. And I just thought that was a, you know, it was, it won the start before in the Memsey, had to go up to 60 kilos, but that didn't bother me. I just stuck with it and we got rewarded with a decent price. Yeah, absolutely, Big V. I mean, you always remember with, with, with glory those sort of big wins, don't you? I, I do like Behemoth because I actually, you know, didn't know much about the horse, but I kept following you in on it. So that, I've got to give you some credit for that because you were a big lover of the horse. I think you had it uh, on top for a couple of its Group 1 wins there, and I was always following you in. So I'm glad you've included it in, the, uh, in your best bet of the spring. I don't have to go far too far back for my best bet of the spring, and I'm going to go to Miami Bound in the Mooney Valley Cup. And the reason I've chosen that is 
simply the price. And I think I got about 30 to one on it that day. And I was just seeing it beautifully that day, actually more generally, but you know, with the, the way that the race was going to pan out with Jamie Carr on board, the track condition that just looked like a race that could be won by a long shot. I think it was a very even race. And I do remember with uh, yeah, a lot of uh, excitement as it rounded the home turn and looked like the winner. Uh, it's not often that you sort of have a, a little bit of a go at a, a 30 to one pop and it all sort of works out big V. So that one, does stick out in my memory now we want to go to what your spring star so what horse do you think really was the dominant you know the horse over the spring and the one that you really thought stood out as being the top performer there was quite a few but i'll go with ollie kirk winning the golden rose and the guineas you know it looks like a horse with a, a lot of great potential if it doesn't go to stud but it was a Big win in the Golden Rose. I wasn't on it that day, but I made sure I was in the Caulfield Guineas, and that was just an exceptional performance as well. Yeah, excellent effort over Ole Kirk's over the over the spring. And mine was uh, this was the easiest one for me, Big V, and probably could have been in my best bets of the spring, but I didn't want to double up. It was very elegant. I mean, it won three Group Ones, the Caulfield Cup, Turnbull Stakes. And right back at the start of the spring, you remember it won the Wink Stakes first yeah. up as well. So, you know, that's winning 1,400 through to 2,400, multiple Group 1 winner. I thought it ran really well in the Melbourne yeah, Cup too. I agree too. Yeah. yeah, she was a good performance. Yeah. Particularly on the, with the track conditions as well. You know, take a bit of cut out of the ground and you never know. So I think, you know, that's a, that's a tremendous effort from Very Elegant. And the great thing is too, Big V, and the, the bit I like about it more is that I was on her every time. So I uh, didn't miss out on Very Elegant and, yeah, she had a great spring. And just finally, Big V, uh, we've obviously seen a lot of younger horses and a lot of new up-and-coming horses come around over the spring, and I'm keen to know which horse, up-and-coming horse, you're looking to follow perhaps into the autumn next year. Yeah, I want to go with North Pacific from the Hawks stable, second to Ollie Kirk in the Golden Rose. He was going to be the horse I was going to be keen on in the Caulfield Guineas, but they decided to put him out for a spell. Could be a good move in the end. I think he looks like he's got some really good potential in the autumn and, you know, these 1,400, 1,600-metre races could be at his mercy as well and he can handle good and heavy conditions. Yeah, definitely a find for the spring, I think, and we'll take that as your horse to follow, Big V. We're not going to do a horses to follow segment this week, but North Pacific, moving forward over the, the autumn and spring next year, I think you can definitely follow. And uh, the one I'll choose, Big V, is the, the winner of the Coolmore last week, uh, September run. And, you know, that's about as dominant win as you'll see in a race uh, last week. And I think really moved up through the grades well, was able to really prove to be a dominant horse. Uh, and, you know, as a filly as well, being able to beat the boys was a, was a big significant plus for September run. And I can see it really working through its, uh, you know, three-year-old and four-year-old years and being a horse that we'll be following for a little while to yeah. come. Yeah, first up, it was beaten three lengths by Dame Giselle, and I reckon if those two horses met again, September 1 would, would beat it easily. Yeah, well, it went on to win its next three, didn't it? Yeah, so it's just I mean, really elevated. Yeah, and that's what horses can do, particularly young horses can, you know, in one preparation can elevate from, you know, above average yeah. horses to real, you know, superstar group one horses. And I think September run, we could be talking about it yeah. in some of those real big races uh, next this time yeah. next year, maybe even an Everest horse potentially, uh, you know, without jumping, you know, too far ahead. But I also think it's one that we'll see again in the autumn. So that's probably my horse to follow. You've, you've got some good ones there too, Big V. Um, so that's probably a wrap for our Spring Carnival uh, sort of summary there, Big V. A lot, lot to talk through and a lot to uh, discuss, and it's been great doing that with you. But we wanted to finish 
we've just heard here, it's Sunday here on um, the Should Have Backed It podcast, and President-elect Joe Biden has just been announced, uh, I saw there on TV, and I know that you've got a bit of a passion for this area, politics and everything, Big V, so... not really. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. Well, as you know, as as our listeners know, though, we always take it from the punting perspective, and there were some really interesting odd fluctuations for the presidential betting. I I know that I think betting agencies took an extraordinary amount of money on who would win the, the election, and... I think the markets sort of settled just before the election at about a dollar fifty for Biden, two fifty for Trump, but after that it was chaos. Yeah, it was, and that's probably the only reason why I was watching the U.S. election because of the betting fluctuations. I didn't know what was going on. I was just going by what the the market was telling me, and you know, I went out to the shops for half an hour, and Trump was about two thirty. I come home, and he's a dollar twenty eight favorite, and I thought, geez, he's gonna gonna get gonna get reelected again, but. He wasn't getting. He had leads in the key key states, but he didn't have that knockout lead. It was just really tight. And then, as the afternoon was going on, he was he eased out to a dollar fifty, dollar seventy, because he didn't have that significant margin. You know, dinner time I went to the in-laws, and then when we left, he was a dollar fifty. Then all of a sudden, get home twenty minutes later. And he's out to two fifty, and then three dollars as Wisconsin turned dramatically. So it was just unbelievable, just the fluctuations. And if you were a savvy punter, you could have backed Trump at, or even Biden when he got out to four dollars when Trump was a dollar twenty eight. Get on Biden, and then later on when Trump gets out to two fifty three dollars, lay off. Mate, if you were a savvy election watcher slash punter, you would have had a field day with this yeah. live betting because I think you probably could have got at any point $4.50 about both of them. Yeah. And if you were an election watcher, you would have known that that's kind of how it was going to swing yeah. because Trump was always going to get the votes up front. The people that were voting at the polls were always going to be the more leaning towards Trump. And then the mail-ins yeah. and the early votes that don't get counted until later in many states yeah. were always going to come in and, and fill that void. So if you knew that, and you were, you know, strong on your convictions about understanding how the sort of the electoral system works. You could do really well on that particular uh, uh, live betting, I guess, option that was available through that. And there was a lot of weird betting options with that election, so I won't go into those. But uh, yeah, it was a, just an interesting one from a punting perspective because I know a lot of people were watching that particular yeah. element. Yeah, that, that's just what kept my interest up. As you're watching a bit more, I sort of learned a little bit about the, you know, the states and which ones were the the key areas, the key ones that Trump needed to win and what Biden needed to grab. And, and they just changed dramatically. When, when Wisconsin changed and was heading towards Biden, I think Trump still led in maybe three or four other states, but his grip on those leads were, were weakening as each votes were getting counted. So I think in the end, I think Trump might win only one of those seats that were up for grabs. He had a big lead in... Pennsylvania, but I think it's gone Biden, Biden went to Biden. So yeah, it was just um, it was a very close race. But I think even though these states the count was close, it seems to be like a decisive victory now for Biden. Although those states went down to the wire. 
No, that's a good analysis, Big V. I'm, I'm pretty sure listeners are going to be surprised that we've dabbled in politics at, at, to, as a way of finishing off our podcast for the season. But, yeah, no, um, we probably um, won't do a spin-off political podcast, no. Big V. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's certainly not my area. <laughs> yeah, but it was good to, really interesting to hear, for, see from a, a punting perspective. And sometimes I wonder whether we know more about US politics than our own politics sometimes, Big V. Um, a lot of people following the US election and obviously has big implications for the world more generally. But, look, that's all we've got time for for this episode and ultimately this season of the Should Have Acted podcast. I obviously want to thank all our loyal listeners of the podcast who have been really interactive with us this spring, asking a lot of really great questions, um, commenting on the show and obviously having a look at our best bets of the day there on the at Should Have Acted Twitter handle. Thank you, Big V. It's been great. This is the first time in the whole season we've actually got to look at each other face-to-face. Um, the other episodes have all been over FaceTime, but with some restrictions easing, it's been good to uh, see you again and uh, catch up. Uh, and it was good to catch up over a beer yesterday as well. So hopefully that'll uh, be something that we can continue to do moving forward over summer. Yeah, let's hope um, we just keep going forward with these easing of the restrictions. And you know, we've still got plenty of racing over the summer, Perth. And then Magic Millions. So got Sandown next week, mate. Yeah, sand it's still, it's sand, always still a, Sandown. We've got Morfittville tomorrow, actually on Monday. Oh, Monday yeah, <laughs> you don't forget Morfittville. If you if you want a few dollars on Saturday, you know, just butter up again at Morfittville. Hopefully the uh, TAB sorted out their issues by then. Yeah, it seems like a real serious problem that um, I don't know why they postponed the races or delayed the races by an hour. They seem to for a significant issue. I don't think an extra forty minutes to an hour was going to solve the problem or find the problem. <laughs> Didn't seem to work out for them, did it, Big V, given we've still got the issue now, now 24 hours later. But, yeah, what did you make of that just finally? I know we're sort of wrapping up, but um, it was a bit of an odd one to see uh, races delayed and postponed yeah, and not happening because of a, a TAB fault. If it was a minor problem, then maybe you can probably postpone it. But it seemed like from the get-go it was going to be a major issue. I don't think it was a good look delaying the races because we know, being following... The sport that the punt drives the industry but I think it comes down to perception sometimes to the wider public and I think if we just expose that by just saying when the tab crashes we can't run the sport we can't we still we can't run the races and they should have just kept it going I mean people could still get a bet on if you had a corporate account I just think we didn't need to let the wider public know or expose to the wider public that we are a gambling-driven industry. And I wonder what would have happened if we had crowds on course as well, Big V, 100,000 people potentially all uh, trying to get a bet on and whether that would have impacted what they did. But I guess we'll never know that, Big V. And uh, as you said, plenty to back. And uh, thanks to everyone, as I mentioned, for for listening to the show. And uh, over the summer, as always, good luck on the punt.